Hello and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 117. This interview is with George-Edouard Diaz, my former digital aspiring partner and ex-chief digital officer at L'Oreal, and now co-founder and chief strategy officer at Quantstream's agency, helping big companies master customer data. In this interview, we discuss the challenges of the digital transformation from the inside. We look at the key topics like the demands on business of the new digitally connected customer, challenges that organizations face in reviewing and revisiting governance, how best to get top leadership buy-in, and how to install a test-and-learn philosophy. Great stuff. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. So, Georges-Edouard. Good morning. Tell us how you, who you are and what you've been, what you, what you've been doing. Hello, Minter. I'm Georges-Edouard. Yes, I'm the... Uh, co-founder of a company called Quantstreams. Uh, Quantstream is about uh, writing uh, the story between brands and customers. We want the stories to be as unique as possible. The way we do it, uh, we curate customers' data that uh, big companies own often. We use it in a smart way and we start writing the stories between customers and brands. And previously to that, I was uh, the chief digital officer of a big group, L'Oreal. Great. So, Georges Edouard, if you had, with all your experience working in digital, because you worked in digital for, you know, you've been in digital for many, many years, what's the one thing you've learned about digital and its role in the business and with customers? Well, I think the uh, digital is the thing that has turned everything upside down. I mean, the business model. Uh, the business model that we've we've been through for many, many years uh, was really starting from the products. And from the products in top-down approach, it goes to down to the customer. And now it's it's a world where everything starts with the customer. And I feel that most of the companies have not realized the magnitude of the change, which means that it's not only a, a change of rhetoric, it's a change of mindset, a change of business model. I would say that even if I go to the roots, it's deeply changed. Uh, the business model of any company. It's for me, it forces any company in the world to restart up. That's the reason why we say we need big companies to act and behave like startups, just because it's this upside down thing, trans digital transformation uh, that makes everything new. Bouncing off what you just said, George Edouard, in a big company to get restart up, what kind of, what's the pathway you think and in your experience you employed in order to try and get a large organization with all its pitfalls and, and hierarchies moving in the direction to become a restart up? You know, there's two ways to see and report yourselves. When you're talking yourself, you can say it's a multiplication of your numbers of product that you sell multiplied by what I would call an average retail price. That's a way to report yourself. It's normally the way you do it. And there's a way you think at it. But if you think of it, if you look at the other side of the equation, you'll see that sales are also the products of the numbers of, con uh, of the con consumers you have, multiplied 
by the average annual value of a customer. And if you start to see your business that way, uh, you'll think that to develop your business to ensure some sort of sustainable growth, you need to conquer new customers and you need to grow the potential or the value of your existing customers, which means that you'll set a lot of different objectives, different goals in your company, which means that we'll follow different KPIs from the one we usually follow. And that's the starting point for me when you've got this KPI, this consumer-driven KPI, accessible, available in the board, to change your mindset, because you will start to pilot your company in a different way. That's beautiful. And if I could, then just thinking about those KPIs, because one of the things that I experienced, and we both worked at L'Oreal, was that there's a lot of reporting, and, and you can end up as a manager being, I would say, overwhelmed by the number of data that are coming in and, and the amount of reports. There's financial reports, there's the marketing reports. Do you have any, in your mind, any KPIs that really stand out as saying, these are the kinds of KPIs, I mean, that, that top managers really should be having on top of their desk every morning or, or you know, every week? You know, telco company have started to understand what were the KPIs that were really important to them. They're always talking of the same thing, the same KPI, which is called the RPU. The RPU is the average revenue per user. And you know, that's the type of KPI that every manager should look at. Because if customers really understand what you're up to, what type of business you're doing, and if your business is bringing value to them, you'll see that RPU grow. So if I'm looking at a business which is healthy, I would say that the number one indicator to prove me the healthiness of this business would be this average revenue per user. So, you know, just if we had these two KPIs uh, in the boardroom, one was, how much customers do we have? You know, often when I ask this question to general managers, they, they don't know, because they have so many brands, it's difficult for them to calculate uh, the real numbers, the actual numbers of customers that they, that they have. And the other one being, what's the revenue that each of your customers is bringing to your business? Is it growing? And that's also a question for which uh, they don't have any answer. So they are forced to pilot their business the whole way, looking at how many products they've sold, which means that the only way for them to manage growth is to throw out in the market new products again and again. Super. Um, so when we're talking about a digital strategy and digital transformation, you mentioned it before, but how important is being customer-centric for the organization? Well, I think it's the most important thing. And by the way, most of the company would say that they're already customer-centric. Uh, but they're only, uh, what I say, paying lip service to customer-centricity, if I may. Uh, one of the proof of that is when you ask them in books where is their, for example, their customer care center, their customer service center, their call center, where it's located, often the first thing that has been outsourcing has been the call center. How on earth can you pretend that you're customer-centric when the first thing that you've done is to outsource the things, which is your direct link, your direct relationship with your customers? Especially when you're in a world where you don't have direct contact with your customers because in between yourself and your customers, uh, you have a retailer. 
So there's a lot of talk about customer centricity. I see a lot of people saying, well, where are we talking about? Where do you think it's important? We're all customer centric. No, in fact, you're not customer centric. You, you do not act as if you were customer centric. You do not have a mindset. And by the way, you do not have the KPIs we were discussing. You don't have the indicators that prove you how you are you performing in your uh, customer centricity. Fabulous. All right. So today, Jean-Jedois, we have a uh, a customer that is, you know, almost entirely, but in any way, more and more digitally connected. And they seem to be well. How would you evaluate the types of new demands that they're making on business? These these new digitally connected customers. I think you know it's it's a lot about listening, and when I say listening, it's listening and curating. So in the old age, uh, the role of a retailer was was mostly to display the products that were invented uh, by the marketers. And because of the power of mass media, we all know uh, that customers will rush into the stores to get these products. But with the, with the inversion of the model somehow, uh, you are in a situation where because customers are talking with other customers, they start to define their new, uh, their new needs. This creates a new form of customer demand. And in that respect, the role of a retailer is really to understand that customer demand and try to see uh, what type of products, or I would say even what type of manufacturers are able to fulfill that individual customer demand. That's the reason why we think that even in manufacturing, the eve, the eve of 3D printing is going to change the world. Uh, when I see this uh, Korean girl called Grace Choi that has invented this uh, 3D printer, which is printing, in fact, makeup products, she's, she's, she's just merely saying to the cosmetic industry, you know what, in 10 years from now, you'll be selling cartridge of ink or cartridge of texture, and maybe the printer, just like HP. So we need to listen, and we need to curate, and we need to transform. That's exactly what we need to do. And I think, uh, I won't say that the customer is demanding it. I think the, the customer is will give its confidence, which is the most important thing, to the companies that have understood this obvious fact that the world has changed. Sweet. All right, so thinking um, back to our L'Oreal days, and, and I, what I'd like to do is, is you know, there's a segmentation that needs to happen, especially when we're talking luxury. You know, as one tries to go up market, you've got a, a, a more affluent customer, and with different kinds of, of concerns, whether it's regard security, privacy, and and then you know your mass market. Is there any? How would you characterize the differences in trying to deal with those two types of segments when you're looking at your digital strategy? I think it's probably the way you care and you trust. I mean, as a, as a company, do you care? Do you tr do you care about your customers to the point that you get in return the most important thing for me, the customer trust? And obviously, uh, where uh, you're in the luxury type of business, you have probably the means to develop that sort of relationship, which is also a human relationship, uh, which is uh, the intermediation of the. Uh, of the shopkeeper, of the retailer, which is really the spokesperson of your brand and face of the customer. Uh, 
And it's that type of a human to you, one to one human relationship that makes the difference between uh, the sort of relationship you will have in mass, which will be more through what I call an operating system. Uh, of course, you can you can have the person who are reacting. You can have a feeling of uh, being really uh, in a close relationship with a company like Amazon, but you know that beyond. Uh, it's some sort of logic which looks like an OS. I don't know if you've see, seen that film uh, called Her, but I love this uh, uh, this film just because it shows the example of this OS, uh, uh, which is finally and this an OS that gives the impression to the customers that this is the only user of the OS in the world. So he has some sort of that unique sort of relationship. That's Samantha, that's the name of the US, or that's the nickname uh, the user gives to the US. Is It's a unique relationship between him and Samantha. Exactly what it's about. It's about this trusted relationship between brands and customers. And obviously, there's more humanity, I would say, when it's a luxury brand and when it's a mass brand. And I think uh, the human touch will be, for me, something uh, which this concierge approach, as I say, uh, will will probably make a lot of difference. Beautiful. I mean, so on the one hand, you have human touch, and on the other hand, as you're saying, this OS, you have a, an automated personalization kind of feeling. How does digital and the human touch then marry together? Well, I think the um, you can't. I think digital has always enhanced humanity. Uh, a lot of people have told me that Facebook was dehumanizing relationship between people. Uh, I feel when I look at my uh, young adults, uh, my kids, my well, my adults now, they, when I look at their relationship with friends and the way they connect with the world and the way they keep their friends throughout their travel, uh, throughout the fact they move from country to country, thanks to Facebooks and other things, uh, they've kept a close touch uh, with their relationships. In fact, they have much more, they maintain much more relationship than I used to maintain when I was young. So uh, you can't say uh, that digital is destroying humanity. Uh, digital is enhancing humanity because it gives you the possibilities of magic, even as a human being, much more contact than who you had in the past. So you don't need to be like Samantha and OS. Uh, as a human being, because of the uh, tools that you have at your disposal now, you can probably uh, be in touch with much more people than I. Uh, was in touch myself when I was a, uh, a teenager. That's beautiful. All right, so um, switching topics a little bit, George Edouard, looking at governance, who are the necessary, especially when you're thinking about L'Oreal or any big organization, who are the ne necessary parties that need to be involved in forming an effective governance? I think the, uh, the we were talking about customer centricity, and I think the importance is taking care of the customers. So I've always thought that this notion of a chief customer officer uh, would be probably a, a good way uh, to take care, to govern this necessary change uh, in the business model of the, of the of companies. And I feel that uh, with by, by probably by creating this uh, function of chief digital officer, we've much more insisted on technology than on the, the role of this technology, which is transforming our business model. So I feel it's much better to think about this customer officer because 
we focus on the relationship, not on the tool that helps create this relationship. And that's the reason why I insisted before on this, uh, on the this bad trend of trying to uh, send offshore all your customer care centers, because if you think of it, it's not only call centers. Tomorrow it's going to be your customer command center. The place where everything will start because it's where you will re-listen really uh, to the demands of your customers. It's the number one place that you uh, equip from listening to uh, where you expect that they will look at what is said in the social place, place about your brand is obviously your customer care or your customer command center. So we were in a model where in the past everything ended at a call center because people were calling to express their satisfaction and most of the time their dissatisfaction because people were mostly calling to say that they were dissatisfied. But no, it's totally different. It's the place where relationships start and as markets are conversation, it's a place where the market starts. Sweet. All right. So um, we we you've uh, we've been talking a lot about um, customer centricity, and it's obviously something that you're strongly feeling about. When it comes to the board, they have all their issues and concerns about you know the shareholder performance of sales. So that's that's sort of normal operating business. What difficulties stand out when you're trying as the chief experience officer, the chief customer officer, or chief digital officer, what, what difficulties do you encounter or stand out for you when you're trying to persuade your board to embrace digital? Well, customer is a lot about patience. And the, uh, you know, we, we're always talking of, of long-term customer value. And there's this term of long. And if you remember, the way the markets are work is much more on a quarterly basis. So when I am the CEO of a company, the things that I'm anxious about is my quarterly results. And one of my concerns is the only way that I know today my quarterly results is probably to launch a Something new just bugged out. Yeah. Uh, it's, sorry, you just, it, just, it just bugged out when you were saying one of my... So the, uh, uh, we're always talking about this long-term customer value compared to the, uh, I would say, the financial imperative of delivering results on a quarterly basis. And the only thing that the CEO could do to make sure that it's going to hit its quarterly results often is to launch a new product. Because you know that by launching a new product in the market, because of the market system or systematics, I would say you're sure that somehow it's going to, to, to because of the media and whatever, it will bring you some sales in the business. Why when you have action on the customer, on the customer attitude, it takes much longer. It's maybe it's much more sustainable, but well, it doesn't bring a result immediately. So this patience, which is necessary, uh, when you start to work on the customer side, uh, it's contradictory somehow with the imperative of uh, making sure that your stock price stays high. All right, so. That's with regard to the board and the CEO mm -hmm. and, and getting them to have that patience. What about the key success factors for gaining widespread adoption throughout the organization when you're trying to drill it down? 
Well, I think the one of the strange things that I've, I've seen in in big companies is is the fact that often these people, uh, which were uh, workers in these big companies, uh, they were often very digital savvy at all. They had no problem with digital at all. They had all the technology they need. They were using the smartphone, they had a computer at home, they were communicating with family uh, using uh, uh, Skype or Hangout. And so they were really savvy in using things. And the minute they enter the company offices, suddenly it was finished. Suddenly everything was complex. Suddenly nothing, uh, there were all the good habits that they had in their daily life disappear. And you know we're always talking about this, one of the transformations of digital has been that, that connection uh, between your daily life as uh, uh, in your family, in your daily life, professional, daily professional life. But the thing that companies should think about is make sure that the in-house technology, the network, the IT services, the tools that are put at the disposal of their uh, workers, smartphone, whatever, or computers, or laptops, or whatever, these enable this connection between myself at home as a, and myself in, in the office. So this notion of making sure that when I'm at home, I'm able to do things that are related to my work, this is the way I live today, and when I'm in the office, I'm able to, sort of, to do things that are somehow personal. There's, there's a big difference in the way you manage your work, because Digital has given you the capability of managing everything on your time. It's also given you the constraint of doing this like that. Uh, so it's, I think the number one thing that a company should do is look at its chief information officer and probably uh, the number one people that should be transformed by digital in the organization should be the chief, the chief information officer. Is all, always the one we never think about because we think, well, he's in uh, information technology, so he knows digital, he's really digitally savvy. It's false. It's exactly the contrary. It's probably the least digitally savvy person in the organization, and it's the one that owns the network, owns the technology. So he creates some sort of a, of a, a thick wall between the new life in which the company uh, is part of now and what's happening really in the enterprise. So for me, uh, that should be the first gesture, the first transformation uh, that we should apply to this big organization. So leveraging off of just what you said, Georges Dois, the CIO is the one who needs the most help. Then how do you go about dimensioning your infrastructure? Because these are, these are big decisions that take a lot of time when on the one hand you have a digital transformation to operate and a digital savviness to bring into the organization how how do you go about i you know dimensioning your infrastructure needs what what would you what sort of advice would you have there well i think the cloud gives you possibilities that you hadn't in the past uh, and the notion of keeping everything in house in your own servers on your own network using even your network to communicate uh, between your subsidiaries 
just for security purposes, probably is totally outdated. And I would say it's more than that, it's totally inefficient. Uh, I, by the way, the, uh, the security which is offered by a cloud is often better than the security which is offered uh, by uh, the servers that seems to be in a secure place uh, in your company buildings. Uh, so I feel uh, really we should open it up. And something that I really believe in is we should move the company to as an ecosystem where everyone within the company is responsible for its own information. Because one of the reasons why people behave differently when they are in the company is because they think they are really protected by this thick wall and that security in the system, security, confidentiality of information is not their problem because it's managed by the uh, IT managers. You should make people responsible for the information they own on behalf of the company. And by making them responsible making means that you should tell them, train them on how they should pro protect that resource, that asset of the company on their own computer. Because if, they, if you let them act in, uh, in an unsecure fashion uh, within your own network, because it's a network which is creating the protection, guess what's happened? Once they uh, leave the, uh, the company, uh, they start to connect and share things and put everything on USB keys, which are not protected at all, but they forget in the uh, lounge in airports or whatever. Mm. So I feel uh, we should open it up but as we open it up, we should make everyone in the company much more responsible of the assets, the information they own, they detain, and of protecting that information as they would protect their personalized information. That's brilliant, George Edouard. That's something that's very original. I haven't heard that one before. And it also comes back to this issue of governance where there's a, a level of responsibility. So you have responsibility for, for data, but you can also make them responsible for you know, their digitalness and put the responsibility, the onus on them, not just on HR to make them digital, not just to have the CTO do all the, you know, the, the privacy or the security of the servers. So when, when you're dealing with the top execs in the company, what are the key arguments to win over these the you know, top the CEO and folks, when they've been programmed to perform on a quarterly shareholder basis? Well, I think it's it's, it's some sort of, of, uh, of risk management. And, uh, you know, when you're running your business always in the same way, it's boring. And somehow the uh, managers uh, they would like to fill this, uh, this uh, I would say, this excitation, to be excited about this form of risk that you feel that when you are in a start. So you, you can uh, let them, you can have them understood on, on the, on the that basically, whilst they have to be very serious in most of their business, they should keep uh, an area of their business where they are taking some sort of risk where they're acting like real entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, it's... Most of our companies, uh, they're, uh, they're listed in Wall Street, so 
Whereas if you look at most of the startup, they are listed, they are listed uh, on the NASDAQ. By the way, if you look compare the two markets, you'll see that uh, uh, the four uh, biggest capitalization in the world are on the NASDAQ and not on the, on the Wall Street market. And by the way, that the growth of the NASDAQ of the five last year have been plus 90 persons, while it's, uh, the uh, Dow Jones was only plus 60 persons. But what is really interesting is when you're listed in Wall Street, the person who are the actors that make Wall Street, it's what we call the pension funds. Whilst if you go to the NASDAQ, it's really what we call venture capitalists. It's about managing risk to transform the world. So I think we should sometimes think about it. We should find a way as a big company to have maybe some sort of startup business, even in the corner of your mind, that you would use to hack the NASDAQ, to really uh, take the NASDAQ rule and not be always managed by these pension funds that are really risk adverse. Of course, they want security, they want transfer of the world, and move to this exciting world which is about inventing the future. And I feel there's always this, uh, in every CEO, you'll find this, in the pace of his mind, he would say, well, how could I feel that sort of adventure uh, that I have if I was a startup? And I'm sure it's something that can be done through a company. It just, you know, when you, when you have a portfolio of assets, you don't place all your assets always in pension funds or in treasure bonds. You have some sort of part of it that you put in, in capital risk or whatever. Because that's a way to balance your risk. Why on earth are we running all our business with just this top security bonds? And why don't we balance our investment between risky and unrisky uh, businesses, which, which is the way to be to, to really manage the risk today? You're, I think you're not serious about the future of the company. It, at least in the portfolio of your asset, you don't have a business, which is somehow much more risky than others. Tom Peters, who's 71 years old, he talks, he talks about SAV. We're not talking about service après vente. We're talking about, he says, screw around voraciously and or, uh, you know, diddle time. And so it's maybe about finding the child in oneself almost in this exciting times. I love that. So when you're looking at the executive committee, how, when, and or why does an executive committee itself become digitally fluent? Well, I think it's, you, you have to believe it. You have to believe in it. You have to have the time to look around you. One of the prime people of the executive committee is that they believe in some sort of a world which is the world of a company and they never look outside. Even when they meet uh, families and friends, they are talking about their business. So they don't take that, that, that very important time to listen and curate. They don't see real customers. The people they see in-house are the worst customer of their own products for the reason, because they are product managers, they are business owners, they don't buy the product. They know so many things about the, uh, the context where they sell the products that they are not real customers. So one of the, the number one thing would I say give you time. 
you know this stupid thing that I said, well, uh, you shouldn't travel, you should do video conference because it saves money. Maybe it saves money short term, but in long term, you forget to discover the world. When you think that traveling or waiting for something is time that you lose to the country, it's time that you can gain to listen and to see and to watch real people. Anywhere I am, I will spend my time serving people, looking what they are up to, trying to understand what they're doing, because that's the way you really understand the transformation of the world. So I think the number one thing would be give you some time to think and to listen. I know there's always something more urgent. I know that the way the, the business are uh, appreciated or valued is depending on how much how busy people are. And I think it's some sort of hype of having no time at all to do anything. But frankly, I feel that the one that win are the one that have time to listen and understand. This inevitably this inevitably means you got to have you have to stop doing things mm -hmm. in order to find the time, and that's a whole another area. So uh, one last question for you, George Edouard. So um, we're talking about bosses, and uh, you know you've you've had they have thirty years of experience coming into this position as as a CEO. Let's say typically, and they've been paid and made success or had success because they've been right a lot of the time. When we're talking about having fun. Uh, taking our time and experimenting and trying new things, we often you invoke the term of um, um, test and learn. So, what pressure does the test and learn approach place on senior people? Well, I think there's a there's a vision which is a traditional vision that uh, you're a good manager, you're a good CEO as long as you've been always right. Uh, in fact, if you look at uh, the way VCs give uh, funds. Uh, to startups, usually they will um, trust much more a uh, startup that has been wrong many times because he has got the experience, he has probably understood uh, from a mistake he made. And I think uh, you should really understand that probably the most important thing is to make mistakes and learn from your mistakes. You know, being uh, a manager doesn't mean that uh, you understand everything that that are doing the people you manage. You don't need to be this uh, total knowledge, know everything about everything. Uh, the, the most important thing is to listen, always to listen and understand. And I think uh, you, you should move away from this idea that the, uh, the general manager is the one that knows everything about everything. No, he's the one that really understands what makes the relationship existing between, between, within the company fruitful and creating value not only for the company itself but for the customers outside. So it's some sort of the, uh, the central hub of the network. So think of the CEO as a central hub of the network, not as uh, the supercomputer where everything goes in. I love that. It make, makes me think, George, like, you know, because when, when we always talk about these sharing best practices, you know, as we're learning together, so there's some lovely words about learning organization, but can you imagine going into a meeting and starting off by saying, you know, well, the three things I failed at doing were, because that's where we're learning from. We learn from our mistakes. But, you know, how would you describe a good way to, you know, drive best practices and learnings from failures within an organization as you try to penetrate the digital 
into the company. Uh, I just remember because that reminds me a, a question that I did ask to the uh, to a former CMO of PNG when I was still at L'Oreal, and was of course uh, very much intrigued by what was happening at PNG, which is still the number one competitor of L'Oreal. And I I I asked him what do you think would be the, the the most important difference existing between Procter and Gamble and L'Oreal? He says, well, uh, really we we understand uh, that failing something is the way to progress. And he said something uh, which was very interesting to me. He said, each time I have the uh, year-end reviews with my, uh, with my direct report, I say, well, when, I, when they start to say, uh, I've succeeded in everything, that was a good year, that was fantastic, each time, each thing I did uh, was a success, what I said, what I always said at the end, I say, well, if you succeed in everything, that means that you've not enough tried. And you know that's a good question. Have you tried enough? George, what a beautiful way to end it. Great stuff. Really enjoyed it. And uh, it made me think about a lot of things, and I uh, really appreciate your time, George. Well, that was great. Thank you, Minter. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes, that really makes my day. Happy trails, and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way. Rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of self security. Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form as long as you would feel warm, wrapped in canvas.
how much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.